This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. For me, I've just come to the conclusion, like, the feminine body is the most disrespected body. Hmm. It doesn't matter how the feminine body is showing up. The feminine body is going to be disrespected. Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Our essential question today, what role can doulas play in promoting racial justice in reproductive health care? Our guest this morning is Vanessa Bassell. Vanessa is the owner of Butterfly Birth. She's a student midwife, a doula, a community health worker, a health minister, a hypnobirthing childbirth educator, and breastfeeding peer counselor in Tacoma, Washington. Vanessa mainly works with underrepresented communities. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. We are so excited to um, hear your story and pick your brain about all things doula and birth justice related. So we are so excited. Um, The first question we want to ask you simply is like, is there a moment that set you on this trajectory or this journey where you saw yourself doing this work? Um, yeah. I don't know. if Some people have one moment. Some people have multiple moments. Yeah. Um, so I guess to like put it short, I can kind of give like some background. So when I first graduated high school in 2017, I got a job at a daycare in Hilltop. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I was working with school age kids, moved down to preschool, moved down to the toddlers, and then I ended up in the baby room. And... I'm a very empathic person. So when I'm working with kids, like I can really read like how they're doing, what's going on, like giving a lot of attention to those who kind of show that they need it. And when I got to the baby room, I realized like, wow, like a lot of these babies, like, like I've met babies before, but I was like, these babies really like are kind of like high energy, I guess Mm. I could say. And like, you would notice like they wanted to be held. And if they weren't held, they would be crying. And from there, it kind of made me wonder like, okay, like this baby hasn't been alive more than like 90 days, you know, like <laughs> yeah. what, what could have gone on that makes this baby this way? Like it couldn't be the environment. It like what happened. And then I was like, all right, like what happens? And then I was like, it's the birth, like what's going on in the birth. And then I would notice like the moms coming in would be like stressed out. And I was like, all right, like there's some follow through that's not happening here. Like we're missing something because these babies are getting here already kind of in, in a not so great situation. Like how mm-hmm. do we intertwine, like intervene in that? So from there, I kind of just started doing research, like, all right, well, like what happened at birth? Cause like, I didn't know. I really mm-hmm. just like, why would I know? So then I just kind of started like researching and I was like, oh wow. Like birth is really hard for black women. Like, wow. Like we should be talking about this. Like, this is a place full of black women who have just had babies. Like where, like, where's the follow through? Like, where are they getting their support? Like we have moms in here Mm -hmm. breastfeeding. Like we have moms using formula. Do we know why they're using formula? Like how, like this is our community. How do we support our community? Hmm. And then from there, I was like, wow, like there's more like infant mortality rates. Like we have a room full of all these black babies and nobody in here is having conversations about how they're dying before the age of one. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I was like, all right, like I have all this information. What do I do with it? And then I started learning more about Pitocin and epidurals and like all of these things. And shout out to Badass Mother Birther on Instagram mm-hmm. because I followed her page and like I was just like learning all of these things. And then from there, I was like, all right, have all this information. 
connecting with it. Like, I know I love working with moms. I know I like working with babies. I don't like, like working with parents. So what do I, where, where do I go from this? And then it just kind of like all clicked, like, wow, like it's a doula. Like you want to be a doula. And then from there, um, I just started gaining more and more education, learning more about breastfeeding and the history of breastfeeding and really learning about like grand midwives and understanding like the roles that they played. And then from there, I was like, all right, this all fell in my lap. This is obviously like something I'm meant to do. So just mm-hmm. like, let's just do it. Awesome. There's a, that, I heard the term um, and I, I don't know how commonly it's used in the doula community, but um, like the fourth trimester, right? We were just mm-hmm. talking about it's, it makes so much sense that like um, the babies have trauma from being born, born and they, yeah. they, they have so many needs already, right? Like physical needs, um, emotional needs, right? Um, comfort, they need comfort, right? But that fourth trimester is so critical and there's so much support that's needed and it's just not, it's not always available, right? Like what a, what an important job, like what an important, not a job, what an important calling, like what that's, mm-hmm. um, that's incredible. Um yeah, so I, I think there might be, I know what a doula is. I hope knows what a doula is. Doug, you know, Doug knows what a doula is. What for, there's got to be some listeners who just don't know exactly what a doula does or what their role is. What, if you had to describe it to someone who is just does, doesn't know what you're talking about, what would you, how would you explain it? I would describe it as the person who takes the pressure off of the partner. Hmm. Mainly. That's like the main thing is that I've realized like so many partners are so stressed out, especially like first babies, yeah. like for it's in a, and usually the birther kind of has like that expectation just naturally of like, you're my person, like you, whatever goes wrong, like I'm looking like you look to your partner. And I think doulas really help to one, like take that weight off of the partner. So the partner can actually enjoy the fact that this is a life experience for them. Hmm. Their life is changing too. And then also someone who is there to make sure that your birth wishes go the way that the, the way that you want them to, that you get the education that you need to understand what it is that you're even going to go through, especially birthing in the hospital, giving you yeah. physical support and preparing you to be physically comfortable and, you yeah. know, prepare you for the birth process. And then also like lactation support, preparing you for lactation so that it's not just, you have your baby and then like nurses are just like putting your, you know, your breast in a baby's mouth. And like, you're not really understanding <laughs> what's going on, you know, like having a contraction or a surge, you know, I want families to understand like, what is a contraction? Cause like we hear contraction, but like, what does that even mean? Right. Like, do you know what's actually happening to your body? So I really yeah. try to help to like break that down for everyone in the family so that everyone can kind of be on the same page doulas also fill that that third that fourth trimester gap as well so that there's that follow-through because it's you have all of these prenatal appointments you have your baby and then it's like fall off like there's nothing yeah. after that like what yeah. about postpartum depression like we know that goes right. into a year where is the the follow-through we know breastfeeding can be challenging for three months where's the follow-through with that and it's yeah. there isn't enough like you can't have all of that consistent support and then all of a sudden you have your baby and then no one is there. And mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, like the family's coming, like family and friends, you usually come to visit the baby. Right. It's kind of how, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like most times they, they want to come and they want to hold yeah. the baby. Yeah. But what about mm-hmm. what's going on with the parents, you know, because right. both parents can get postpartum depression. It doesn't matter which mm-hmm. parent was pregnant. So with that doulas really just help to like, keep a consistency so that certain things don't fall through the cracks because things fall through the cracks all the time, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to post, like PMADs, like mm-hmm. just so many things fall through. Mm-hmm. 
Can you yeah. talk a little bit about the difference between that and a midwife? Because you mentioned also um, that you're a student midwife. Yes. Um, so what are some kind of differences between those roles and what is leading you into doing midwifery or why doula focus now rather than midwifery? Yeah. So with doulas, they do no medical at all. So they don't check temperatures. We don't do like cervical checks. We don't do like blood pressure, just like anything that's medical. We don't do that. We do everything mm-hmm. but that. And midwives do everything. And <laughs> so I would say midwives are doulas with the medical like okay. team behind them. Yeah. Um, what pushed me to be a midwife was being a doula. I realized how powerless we are. Mm-hmm. And that was really kind of a rude awakening because I thought like I love being a doula like I could do this forever yeah but I realized that I I'm willing to do more and not everyone is comfortable with doing more and Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. not a lot of black doulas want to do more Mm -hmm. so um I mean like once I got into the hospital I realized like yes I can advocate as strong as I want to I can totally be that person who yells for you I can totally make sure I'm there but when it comes down to your physician telling you lies in a sense you know it's they have that cap you know mm-hmm. where it's like but doctor said this and you're doula mm-hmm. with no degree and this person you know like that plaque mm-hmm. means something seriously especially when it comes to someone saying like this is life or death of you and your baby so mm-hmm. you yeah. know that coercion I've noticed like as a doula I just don't have that capacity to save families from experiencing that mm-hmm. there's not much that I can do and I know as a midwife just completely canceling out that experience all as a whole like being in the hospital does a lot yeah so that totally and pushed me there's <laughs> also like I, there's also kind of I noticed have noticed um an anti-doula bias in my wife um actually uh and even like anti-midwife bias when we we so we have two kids um and our first child our the hospital was very against having our midwife present um so that was kind of interesting um and that was before coronavirus and then our son our second son was born in March and that was like right when things were getting weird at hospitals with like screenings and not people that's another weird support thing that that was hard our doula couldn't be there at the hospital because of coronavirus which was really tough but um my wife actually wanted me to ask you about this but I was like hey do you have any and she was like, she was like, yeah, ask her about the anti-doula bias. I'm like, so interested. She went to a doctor who told her not to waste her money on a doula. And I was like, are you out of your mind? We would not have gotten through any. We are listeners. You can't see faces right now, but everyone's clutching their faces. I was, sh- I, I was shocked. I was so sh- shaken. I was very upset because and she came home and told me that she was like, are you like, she told me not to waste my money on our doula. I was like, are you out of your is she on her mind? Because like with our first son, it was, um, she saved us emotionally. She was there for everything. She was our fiercest advocate. She was like, every time the doctor said something kind of weird, she was like, are you sure? Like everything, like she was there for everything. And I'm like, she literally saved our sanity. And like, you're basically telling, telling my wife who had like a, our first traumatic birth, like don't waste your money buy a crib instead. Right. So like, <laughs> how do you, Sorry. this is the weirdest thing, right? Like, how do you see, do you see that anti-doula bias? Have you felt that from medical medical profession or like healthcare providers? Do you see it against midwives also? Like what's the, what's been your experience with that? Yeah, that is totally a thing. Um, it's that thing where it's, it's someone who doesn't work in the hospital coming in and we know the system. Like, mm-hmm. and we, we figured it out from the outside mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, you're bringing in someone who's going to like step on my toes. 
you know, it's kind of like you're bringing, you know what I mean? Like you're bringing someone yeah. in that I know, like people know that if you have a doula, if you have a birth plan, we're going to make sure you stick to your birth plan. Like, I right. don't care yeah. what's going on. Like, yeah, doctor said this, this, and this. But we also know the facts. And we have evidence that's, like, evidence-based birth that is proving against what yeah. you're recommending right now. So mm-hmm. I've definitely, definitely noticed. I've had a nurse even tell me, like, yeah, a lot of the nurses at this hospital do not like doulas. She was like, I started off as a doula, so I love doulas. She was like, I know what great work that you guys do. Because yeah. it's, it's frustrating because at the end of the day, no one is in that room with the birthing person. Right. It's frustrating. It's like, you could be, you could say all of these things, but it's like, are you going to be the one to help rub her back? And can mm-hmm. you be there through the entire labor? Were you at her house before mm-hmm. she went into labor? Like, you know what I mean? All of those things. Are you, are you going to go back? after the birth and be with that person Mm -hmm. you know all of those things kind of it really just comes down to they don't want anyone stepping on their toes like they have a flow and they have a system that like they like to go through Mm -hmm. and when we bring someone in who knows that system again it's like testing it's really really testing them and I've noticed I get a lot of backlash from not CNMs in the hospital but when it comes to OBs I get a lot, a lot of pushback. I've had an OB yell in front of a family and like completely like go off the rail, like inappropriately. And just because this mom didn't want to induce that day, like there was no medical reason to induce. He said he wanted them right now. And she's like, we need time to think. And he was like, Mm -hmm. no, if you decide to come in, like after I, like after my recommended date to come in for your, like your induction, I'm not going to do it. What? That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, like it was like mind blowing. Like we were all just looking at each other. Like I don't think that's you can insane. say no. Yeah. Like I don't think that's like appropriate to say no. And it was just because like he he just felt like he just knew her better, like knew her and her baby better than she knew herself and her baby, you know. And from there, even I've had a birth even with a midwife come in and like the nurses were kind of like, it was a, it was a transfer and the nurses were almost treating like the midwife, like this is your fault. (laughs) You know what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, you could feel that they were like placing blame on her that like, that's ridiculous. Didn't go as, you know, as planned, but like, that's why we're here. Like, this is like, you know what I mean? Like, this is why you come to the hospital is when Mm -hmm. these situations happen. Yeah. Right. And it's like when you have a home birth that, you know, is not happening the way you expect or uh, even in a birth center, it's not going the way you expect and you need more medical intervention. Part of what midwives do is assess risk. Like that's their job. Their job is like, oh, this is this is too risky or this is outside of like my scope of practice. Get additional support. That's their whole that's like their whole gig. And it's like, I don't, can't imagine why a doctor or OB would be upset you bringing someone into a transfer because, like, clearly that midwife did their job. If exactly. they weren't there, then mm-hmm. we're worried. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's, it's so yeah. it's so backwards where it's yeah. like we do our job exactly how we're supposed to do it, and we get the results, and they get upset with that. Where it's, it's crazy because, like, I thought we were all on the same page that, like, Right. We want yeah. to avoid yeah. like yeah. C-sections. Like we don't want yeah. families to go through yeah. unnecessary like interventions. And yeah. it's yeah. totally yeah. like once you get in there and you feel the vibes, you're like, yeah, it's totally not. Yeah. You're not mm-hmm. trying to avoid these things at all. Yeah. It's definitely almost taking steps that kind of lead 
to needing those interventions. I've mm-hmm. often seen that cascade of interventions is so, so, so real. It mm-hmm. goes down the same way every single time. I've had a mom try to not get like that snowball effect. Yeah. And yeah. it was just like impossible. It was like, you could feel like the nurses were like fighting it. Like, like, no, like we're mm-hmm. going to do this. Like you're, you're she, once she got the epidural, she was like, they got what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Like those were her words. Like they got what they wanted. I'm over it. I'm done. And mm-hmm. just like that, it's just, it's so unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that well, also I, like, it, it makes me think about like what you're saying about trauma. It's not just trauma. I mean, it's, birth trauma is um every like you I was I'm so glad that you also said that um, both partners can have like postpartum depression um but just like why do we tolerate so much trauma around birth like why do we tolerate that right I'm so glad that you don't like as you're in your profession like you just don't tolerate that like we need more support like that's it's just too it's the like why go ahead yeah it's for me I've just come to the conclusion, like, the feminine body is the most disrespected body. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how the feminine body is showing up. The feminine body is going to be disrespected. And birth within itself is already such a traumatic experience. Like, that's the right. part, excuse my friend, right. like, that's the part that pisses me off. That's like, yep. we literally know, like, how many times have anyone heard, like, giving birth is like breaking 200 bones in your body? You know yeah, what I mean? Like, right. you know, like, we yeah. hear these things. And then it's like, yep. in that moment like this person will come in the room and just say like the most disrespectful things. Yeah. Like disrespect this body. Like we don't already know it's already going through so much and like already being a feminine body, like your whole life experience is already going through so much. So why turn this trauma that can be created into a gentle trauma? Yeah. So one that's like something where this person doesn't even want to have kids anymore. Mm -hmm. They're afraid to even try again. Like I've had families where like we wanted five kids we're done. We're not going to do uh-huh. it again. Like, I don't yeah. want to experience, like, I don't even want to put myself in a situation to have to be traumatized again. Yeah. Like, and I, I've said before, like, we are sending people into a system that we're sending traumatized people into a system that's like bringing them out more traumatized than they were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that's a mm-hmm. huge, huge issue. And it's creating so yeah. much more postpartum depression than is mm-hmm. necessary. It's not even, and it's, it really frustrates me because it's not even the act of giving birth. That's the traumatic part. Hmm. which we would think is the traumatic part, but it's like pushing the baby out. I'll do that again. Dealing with these nurses and these doctors <laughs> yeah, and like get to the hospital, yep. the treatment. Yep. I don't want to do that again. No. That makes it not worth bringing another life into the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any person should ever have to say that because of how someone else is treating them during a trying time. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's, absolutely. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about like those intersectional moments, right? Like how much do you think is impacted by age or as you mentioned, like the female body or um, race? Like what are those factors that are at play in the way that you are treated as doulas as a whole in the profession or in your experience? Can you speak a little bit to some of those moments? Do you think, how do you think race or gender plays a role too? Like, are you finding that more male doctors are certain ways versus female doctors? I don't want to, I don't want to assume certain things, but could you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. Um, I've, I mean, I'm just going to put a blame. Like I, like for one, I know that seeing me walk into the hospital is like a huge question mark for a lot of people. Cause they're like, what the fuck are you doing here? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. like you, like Mm -hmm. young black. Yep. You know, it's just kind of like, mm, it already is kind of like stirring the pot. So I definitely know like every time that I go, I always get some kind of like, there'll be like a microaggression or something. Like I was in a birth recently where we all know like 
most people know right now, like with births, like you only get one family member and then you can have like a labor support person. Yeah. So like, I'm here supporting this mom during COVID, blah, 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 blah. And then the nurse is going to be like, so how did you get two family members in here? Uh, and I was like, mm, not family. I'm not family. Yeah. Like, I'm not yeah. family. Like, did you think, yeah. like, how would we do that? Yeah. If How would that even work for me to be in here if I wasn't some kind mm-hmm. of labor support person? Like, you just assume that mm-hmm. because we're all black in the room. Mm-hmm. And I also experience like, when I'm, when I'm working with black clients, there's always a lot of, testing Hmm. where when I've worked with white clients Hmm. it's a lot easier in the sense of like say both moms wanted natural birth yeah both moms said don't offer me an epidural don't offer me pitocin I want to do this on my own I'll ask you if I need something white mom totally gets respected totally won't Mm -hmm. bring that up totally hands off black mom hey you know you don't have to struggle you look like you're in a lot of pain you sure you don't want the epidural you sure you like, are you sure we could de- like, we could give you something to help you sleep. You look really, really tired. You know, just like little things like that yeah. break down your mental over time. You know, you're mm-hmm. in labor for hours and it's like just little mm-hmm. small things like that end up being something so much bigger in the end, because then mm-hmm. it's like, you're breaking her confidence down. Like you're making it seem like she doesn't look like she's doing well, mm-hmm. or that she can't do it versus just mm-hmm. completely like allowing this mom to like do what she said she's going to do and respecting her wishes. So it's yeah. if that respect is kind of not there. I've also noticed like when I've had families where like like I I worked with a biracial family. So like the husband, he was white, the mom was yeah. black. He they were having a black daughter, black wife, black doula, one white mm-hmm. man in the room. Yeah. After that birth, that birth ended in a c-section it was on christmas mm-hmm. and she was completely completely disrespected and we all kind of felt like mm-hmm. you could feel that the team was like almost like disrespecting the dad like mm-hmm. because of who he was with like you could like you could feel that like he was being dismissed they were like brushing him off like you could just they were just like giving him funny looks like all of those yeah. things like you can just feel that they're just treating you different based off even your insurance your insurance mm-hmm. matters. Like if someone has Kaiser versus like a private, right. yeah. like Kaiser, Kaiser clients get treated so completely different. Like I've mm-hmm. noticed that. And I know they put the, like they put the insurance on the door and it, it's kind of from there. Like everyone has their biases about why someone has Kaiser Permanente or, right. you know, et cetera. And their birth outcomes always like represent mm-hmm. all of those things with age as well. That totally plays a role as well. When, and this is, and it goes both ways when they're younger and when they're older. Yeah. It's not just, yeah. So it's like when yeah. I, when I have a mom who's under the age of 18, totally having those issues. Right. Parent who's over the age of 30, having problems. They want to push induction at 37, 38 weeks for no reason and push Like with older parents, it's stillborn's the problem. Mm-hmm. With younger mm-hmm. parents, it's, I don't think that you can do this. You're not more, you're not powerful enough to do this. Mm-hmm. You're not strong enough to do this. You're too young. You don't know what you're talking about. It's kind of like very dismissive when they're younger. Yeah. And not mm-hmm. listening to their, like not listening to their wishes at all because they think that they don't know any better or they have their assumptions of why they're pregnant, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. it really just, it, honestly, to put it simple, if you're not a 25 year old white <laughs> straight woman yeah. with a yeah. husband, you're going to get disrespected Mm -hmm. somehow in some Mm -hmm. way. 
it's like just that one year is like this is the 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 magic spot that's yeah. crazy but also yeah. not surprising i mean that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on just kind of talking about this work i think there you know we're in a time where people are like trying to be more aware of systemic issues but there's so many pockets and professions and realms where yeah. people really don't realize the instru- like the institutional racism the institutional sexism that exists in those spaces um so we're really appreciative of you sharing about that um, one of the things I was reading about was just the concept of birth justice, and it seems kind of related to this. I don't know if you can kind of explain a little bit about that movement or like what's happening, um, and then we'll take a, a short break. Yeah, so from my understanding, birth justice is really focused on families of color and trans families, really just the most disrespected families when it comes to the birth community. Birth justice mm-hmm. is about the fact of there's so many disparities, like there's so many things going mm-hmm. on, there's so much systemic racism, and birth justice is all about acknowledging that and doing something about it, hmm. from my understanding. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Annie, did you want to ask a quick question? No, I was just thinking- Oh, of, you look like it. Um, I, well, actually, yes, may I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, you had that look on your face. <laughs> well, I was thinking about uh, the the fact that, like, the dueling as a, a profession, and I, 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 I don't, this has just been my, um, understanding based on talking to my my own our doula and then um just hearing you know reading about some issues within the community itself that even within dueling and midwifery is tends to be pretty white right so like the profession like medical profession and all different roles in the medical profession tends to be white and then dueling and midwifery is historically been pretty white like the the professional side right and so there's Mm -hmm. this like kind of idea of like like birth as it's a natural process. It's like part of life, right? That, that somehow, not somehow, that's, that's disingenuous, that because of systems of white supremacy, that white women have kind of had a dominant role in midwifery and in dueling. And it's really, really kind of in, in some ways really insidious because of how high like mortality is for especially black women and black babies. And so I, I guess my question is like, do you see those disparities in, because we see it in the medical profession, do you see it in dueling and midwifery as well? Is that something that you, when you think about birth justice, like, does that look like we need more black doulas? Oh, like, hell yeah. Yeah. Is that what that, <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like right now there's like, I think I know a majority of the black doulas who are specifically like in Tacoma Pierce County. And I think there might be like five of us maybe mm-hmm. five I yeah. mean we're compared to like there's probably like a hundred white doulas out here you know what I mean like there's yeah, so yeah. doing it um with kind of like going into what you're talking about with it kind of being insidious like how midwifery has all happened um just like a little bit of background just because like this is the kind of research that I do and stuff um with it going all the way back kind of like to slavery is where it mm-hmm. all kind of starts in in all naturality so when Africans first got here we totally took care of ourselves. Like there was a point where black babies were dying less, like less than white babies. And there was a point where black moms were dying less than white moms. That all changed when Jim Crow happened and they mm-hmm. illegalized midwifery in the way that black people were practicing it. Mm-hmm. And then CNMs were the only ones who could practice. And then it became illegal to have herbs. If you were caught with herbs, you were going to prison, like all of these things were happening. And midwifery initially Black midwives were taking care of all the black moms as well as some of the white moms as well. And they were doing amazing, amazing work. And then the medical field kind of started. And then so all of that was kind of wiped out. So right now it's kind of 
we're in this era of the education was stolen mm-hmm. in that sense. Like all like, yeah, there's totally like herbalist classes at midwifery schools, but it's like, there was a point where like, we were afraid to even practice that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it really, yep. really getting into it. It's like, we were afraid to have herbs in our bags. And then now it's kind of like, oh no, that's fine. You guys can do that again. Or it's like, uh-huh. no, you can't, you know, we don't just all of those things that we weren't allowed to do is now kind of like, oh no, it's okay to do that. Even the way of learning, you know, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, you can only be a certified nurse midwife. And then once that was all kind of wiped out, all the grand midwives were all passed away, not practicing anymore. Now it's, okay, now we can bring CPMs back. Now we can do it this way again. Now now you can learn from a distance to do textbook work and you can work under a midwife and learn that way. And that's fine. You can do home birth, you can do birth center birth, you can have a business, all of these things, all possible now. When at one time we were all doing it, there was hundreds of black midwives, we were doing great work and then it became illegal. So right now, I think it's black people don't know anymore. Like mm-hmm. the education was forced away from us. We no mm-hmm. longer have this in our families anymore. And now we've been, we've become completely dependent on a system that in a sense is the reason why we're having the mortality rates that we're having. It's the reason why mm-hmm. we're dying because we weren't dying before until we were left into the, like until we couldn't take care of ourselves anymore. So with birth justice, kind of going back on that, birth justice is a huge thing for me is creating loudness about we can do these jobs especially being Mm -hmm. a doula you can start this at 15 years old there is no like you know what I mean like you can do there is no age limit on when you can become a doula if you are interested in supporting moms supporting birthing people go and get the training like if your parents are cool with it go and do it you can do this in high school like you can be that person like I will take teenagers to birth with me so that they can understand this process especially with COVID going on right now like Mm it's really a great time to learn especially even virtually learning and yeah mm-hmm. midwives it's it also even comes down to accessibility you know like yeah. we could want as many black midwives as we want to but like how possible is it when we don't have the fucking money in our communities like we right. don't have the opportunities right. like even for me I'm like yeah, yeah I know. applied I got in how am I going to pay for this like what is like what's going to happen for me like we even like I have a woman who started a GoFundMe for me to go to school to be a mid to be a midwife because we know like I'm young, which is already Mm. like a challenge for me to even get into school because my parents quote unquote make enough money, but I'm also estranged from my parents. Mm. So (laughs) you know what I mean? So it's all of these barriers come into play. Like I'm black, I'm young, I live alone, all of these things. And I'm like, but who's going to do the job? Who's going to do the work? Because right now it's still not done. There's one black midwife in all of Pierce County. Jeez. Just one just one and she lives all the way in Sumner and I'm like one woman cannot birth no way can't do it all no there's no possible way so for me I'm like all right like I'm gonna have to figure this out as I go because until then we're we're gonna continue to have these disparities there's just and uh, yeah there's just there's nothing else that I can do other than to just do it yeah yeah and transform (laughs) from inside yeah uh let's take a quick break and then uh we'll come right back this is Alaska Airlines Mileage Plan MVP Nate Bowling, host of the Channel 253 sister podcast, Nerd Farmer. Hope and I are setting off on a new adventure. We're moving to the Middle East for the next few years and exploring a new culture. Don't worry, don't worry. The Nerd Farmer podcast isn't going anywhere. But do you know what is coming with us? My Alaska Airlines Mileage Plan. Here's what's cool. Alaska has more than 15 global partners, which allows me to earn and use Alaska miles even when I'm not flying Alaska. 
So if I leave SeaTac and fly direct to Dubai on Emirates on an eligible fare, I'm going to earn Alaska miles on that flight. That means whenever I fly home, I'm going to be racking up some insane miles that I can use to book future travel. If you have an international vacation plan, check out the list of Alaska airline partners like Japan Airlines, British Airways, Cathay Pacific, Qantas, and a whole lot more. Enter your Alaska Airlines mileage plan number when you book with Alaska Global Partners and watch those miles add up toward elite status on your next trip. My thanks to Alaska Airlines for their continued support of Channel 253. Learn more at alaskaair.com backslash global partners. So I wanted to build off of what Vanessa was um, talking about right before the break. And I want to, I think, you know, most of our listeners try to be like, um, our goal on, on the show is to be less basic. So most of our listeners, I think, try to, you know, understand systemic issues. But I was curious, could you speak a little bit to why is it so important that we have black doulas or doulas of color? I mean, I think people generally kind of understand, but is there something, um, and you kind of alluded to this in terms of like the trauma there and some of the systemic things that have happened. Is there anything else that you think um, is, is so critical about it besides just like when people say, oh, representation, you know, everyone's on the representation bandwagon. Yeah, yes. It's so funny. I actually recently just kind of like made that connection of why it's important. Yeah. And for me, it's you bring a community back together mm-hmm. because I've realized how many of the black clients that I've worked with became my friends mm. where like one of, one of the clients that I've worked with, um, her, I mean, her brother was Manuel Ellis and I worked with her what like he was there when her son was born you know all of those things and if it weren't for the white midwife reaching out and bringing us together we wouldn't be friends like we wouldn't she wouldn't have the support that she's had for the last year from me like bringing black people together brings a community back together that is being pushed apart you know where you when you meet someone you realize oh you know this person and you know that person oh you're like oh I went to school with them you know like you bring because really all black people in a sense kind of know each other out here in Tacoma like we all kind of just intertwine in some way you know we just all look to help each other and support each other and when you help to be that person to bring a community back together it's more than just oh her doula looks like her it's oh this person understands her experience they went to the same high school they understand like the same streets, they walked on the same streets, they lost the same friend when they were growing up. Like these are, it's, you relate on so many other levels where you naturally just push, you're just naturally more comfortable being with that person, having them in your household, doing all those things because they get it without having Mm -hmm. to be, you know, having to have that conversation and explain those things as well as Mm -hmm. again, like you're, you're creating friendships that these can last so much longer and there's so much more follow through. And it's so much more personable where like this parent might be more willing to share things that are going on that are really affecting their household without having that fear of like, Oh, this person might think I'm crazy or Mm. this person might call CPS on me because they don't understand like what it means to, you know, like just how our households are ran. Like they might think me yelling at my kids is like super, super, super crazy and call CPS on me. And like that can just open up a huge can of worms where this person just feels like they have to be on 10 toes, like walking on eggshells around who they're with because they're not sure what their motives are. And Mm -hmm. I think that's just when you just see that the person's skin is black and yours is black, there's just that understanding of like, all right, you kind of like, 
I feel a little bit safer in that you might not be racist. Like there's a high chance yeah. that you're not racist because yeah. you're black. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't feel like I don't have to question like that. That's not a conversation that we have to have. And I think yeah. just like not having that idea in the back of the head, yeah. like this person could be racist. Like yeah. that right yeah. there is just like a huge thing. <laughs> like that's the main yeah. one. That's the yeah. main yeah. one because there's right now, especially like we're understanding like there's covert racism. Like Speak it doesn't it, have yeah. to be like, oh, like, yeah, my neighbor's black. Yeah, but like you don't have to quote unquote lynch someone to like yeah. to be racist. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's yeah. like people think 100%. like, oh, well, yeah. I didn't like, I didn't call him the N word. That does like that's that's like so at the top of being racist. Yes. Like that's yeah. like there's yeah. so that's, many other <laughs> levels to it. Like that's, that's a really that's a yeah. really low bar. That's a really low bar. That's a low bar. Exactly. I'm like this. Like how low is our bar for racism? Because that's if we're thinking like that's what yes. you have to do, then we have so much more work to do. And yeah. Th- it just comes down to like the microaggressions, like the implicit yeah, biases. Yeah, it's the small yeah. things that we don't know that we do make it unsafe. Yeah, where it's like yeah. we. And I like like I don't have any like I don't know how to explain it. Like I don't feel any type of way that white people don't understand it because the system was built for you not to get it. Yeah, right. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, the system yeah. is working exactly how it was designed to yeah. work. It's doing yeah. its job perfectly Mm -hmm. it's our job to recognize that and understand and change that so like Mm -hmm. i'm not upset that white people have implicit biases i'm upset that no one wants to acknowledge the implicit biases you know what i mean i'm not mad that white people are racist you're you were meant you were literally bred to be racist you know what i mean like that's 100 fine i understand that we're aware of that but let's do something about it Mm -hmm. you know and that's where We have to understand, like, when we see certain colored people, like, we have certain thoughts. Like, I know that yes, I have yeah. implicit biases towards Black people, yeah. you know, just, like, being raised in this community that's mostly right. white, like, mm-hmm. hearing those things, you know. And I think it's really a good opportunity right now, especially to have these conversations, to open these doors up, and to really, like, break down what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I'm kind of switching gears, but not entirely because, um, we really want to hear about your business. So I, we know that you, you kind of, how you came to, to being a doula and training to be a midwife. Um, but not unrelated because you're, you're not just a doula. You're also a, a black female, small business owner right? Yeah, in Tacoma. So like what's, um, how did you come to start your business, like as an entity, like what, what inspired you to do that? Like what, what made you take your doula, you know, dueling to this level of like, I'm going to um, establish this as a kind of a fixture of the community. Like what, what inspired you to do that? Um, it's, I don't want to say nothing inspired me, <laughs> but it was kind of just like the right thing to do. You know what I mean? Like, I just knew that I wanted, I've always just had a goal of just like, it's this is bigger than me and I do this for the community and not for myself and I know that like I didn't want my name it's not my name I don't want it like yes it's I own it but butterfly birth is a it's a it's a thing it's it's an energy it's it's a place to come where you know that you're going to be respected and supported and have and have advocacy and come and get education mm-hmm. and like my door is open to more than just doula work like it really is open to anybody who wants to like if you have if you're on any part of the spectrum of prenatal all the way down to postpartum like call me and if I can't if I can't do it I'm gonna find someone who can do it for yeah. you you know what I is mean is there a story behind the name 
butterfly yeah. birth? Yeah. So part of it is Vanessa means butterfly. Huh. And then the oh. other part of it is just what butterflies represent. Hmm. And for me, butterflies, there's so many stages and they represent transformation, which is a huge thing for one, because that's what's happening all the time. And I, and it also shows that like, not all change has to be traumatic, Mm. you know, where, and I think that's really important bringing that into birth where yes, birth is a change. Like, yes, it's a big transition in your life and you're going to definitely be someone different on the other side, but this can be so beautiful. Like Mm. we can make it the most beautiful thing that we can possibly turn it into because no, it doesn't like, yeah, it is. It's, it's a life experience. It's going to be hard. It's going to be trying but like, let's make it as gentle and as calm and as beautiful as we possibly can. And I believe like butterflies are so, they're so gentle, you know, there's, there's such a soft, beautiful thing that comes out of such a hard cocoon, you know, mm-hmm. out of this mm-hmm. thing that we don't, it's a process that and we don't And caterpillars are ugly. Caterpillars are ugly. I'm sorry. Yeah, they, they are. are. <laughs> they really are. And like, we, yeah, like they start as eggs and then like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like there's all of these Ew. cycles of, <laughs> yeah there's this whole cycle of getting to the end of this one beautiful thing, you know? And I think like when it comes to like birth and like pregnancy and all of those things, I think imagining that something beautiful, like understanding like all of this, this cocoon that you are for this baby, like remember at the end that a beautiful butterfly is coming out of this, you know what I mean? Like reminding Mm -hmm. yourself, like this Mm -hmm. isn't for nothing. This Hmm. cocoon isn't for nothing. The work that you're doing isn't for nothing. There's something beautiful in the end. Don't forget the end. And a lot Hmm. of things can kind of make parents forget the beauty that they're like they're creating, you know, Mm -hmm. and kind of distract them from that. So Mm -hmm. butterfly birth is all about reminding parents that Hmm. they are beautiful butterflies and they're cocoons and they're growing and they're transforming all the time. And change is not scary. Change is beautiful. I love that. It, it's funny as you're talking, like I, I keep thinking about how the metaphor is actually really a pr- like fitting for being in the middle of a pandemic, which is weirdly enough, or like just thinking about the yeah. um, the civil unrest <laughs> and like the, I think coming to grips with, like you said, our, our systemic racism and the, the system of white supremacy in this country, like all those things kind of, I keep thinking about that stuff as you're talking about the butterfly, right? Like going through that and what's going to happen at the end, what's it going to look like at the end and how do, how do we need to keep pushing towards that end mm-hmm. um, and those end goals and seeing that beautiful thing at the and end it, yeah. and then is is the end the end right because then it's a cycle whole cycle of life it's exactly and that's what the whole butterfly reminds you like and then it also reminds you like change is inevitable yeah 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 change yeah. is inevitable it's gonna happen and change can be beautiful yeah awesome. there's so ugly true. parts there's ugly parts and there's parts oh, yeah. like, you know what i mean there's ugly parts yes, there's yeah, not every yeah, stage yeah, is the most yeah. beautiful stage yeah. but change is inevitable and there is beauty within the cycle I love that. If you um, thinking about your kind of the next stages for your business and kind of where you're going um, and your own butterfly journey, I don't know. Um, what is something that you hope to see happen with your work or um, with the systems of supporting black and brown doulas as a whole? Or what, what is some kind of vision you have? My biggest goal is to open a birth center. That's like my huge, huge, yeah. like main goal. Like all of this in the end is to open a birth center, but I want it to be more than a birth center. Um, I'm also cha- trained as a restorative justice circle keeper. Yeah. Oh, so I do okay. that as well. And then I'm an empath mentor as well. So I want to have a space where it's like, I want a space where Brown people know that they can walk into this and whatever mm. you need mm. in any stage in your life, you're going to 
be helped with that especially mm-hmm. and then also being able to give birth in the center you know so that I hope to have in like the next five five years five ten years I hope to be yeah. able to do that that's so awesome so excited um how can listeners support your work uh support you uh what would you how can they find you if they want to like look up obviously we'll link to your website on our show notes but is there any other way yeah um my biggest support right now is we have a GoFundMe for my college midwifery education, which is a huge, yep. huge support. Again, I'm only 20. I turn 21 tomorrow. Hey, congrats. <laughs> Thank congratulations. you. Thank you. And then, um, again, I live alone. I'm a business owner. It, you know, as a doula, the work is only so sustainable. Mm-hmm. It depends on, you know, especially with COVID, things are a lot different right now. Um, you can find me at Vanessa's Butterfly Birth pretty much everywhere if you google my name all of my things will pop up just Vanessa Bustle um but the biggest support I guess would be to just have these conversations with your family like Mm -hmm. if you know someone who could have a child in the future or wants to have children teach them about this it doesn't matter if they're white black brown it, it doesn't matter. I think it's really important to understand the disparities that other people are facing around you so that we can understand to have empathy for others without having mm-hmm. these conversations, because there's a lot of people going on and going through life that just don't know and are living so naively and don't understand their privilege. And I think it's yeah. important to really yeah. emphasize when, especially in younger adults, like you have this privilege of not even having to be afraid of birth. Mm-hmm. And I want you to understand like your best friend whom's black, you know, she might not have the same experience. And, and I think teaching that at a young age and having that understanding will really make that shift in how the next generation takes over because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, everyone knows it's important to pay attention to the the next generation more than it is the older generations, because those are who are going to take care of us. Those are who are, who's going to be making these big changes. Like I'm only 20 being a midwife, you know, most midwives that I know are 35 and up. Yeah. So like my focus personally is like, I'm working with, I want to work with my age and letting them understand like midwifery is something that you don't have to start at 35. Like midwifery is something that you can go directly from high school and go into this field and start making a difference in the next four years. Yep. Versus thinking like you have to have this experience yourself to make that change because having a yeah. kid is not correlated to understanding birth. You know, for me, mm-hmm. I've been born. I feel like being born is enough to understand the effects of birth. I was born via C-section, wasn't breastfed, that wasn't supported. And I understand the relationship that me and my mother have. So for me, that I don't need to have a child to understand how important it is mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. make sure that relationship is supported from the jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, well, thank you for that. We uh, want to shift a little bit. We have two quick segments for to wrap up our show today. Uh, one is called Champagne and Real Pain. Champagne for my real friends, real pain for my sham friends. And in this segment, we'll raise a glass um, to people doing the work. It might be related to this field or it might be related to just something you want to give a shout out. Um, usually our shows uh, release a couple weeks out. But today I wanted to raise a glass of champagne. I was when I was researching for our episode today, I, I've, I discovered a couple of awesome um, websites. One is Black Women Birthing Justice. Um, that that when I was going through the website, it's pretty amazing the work that is being done there. And then also birthing beautiful communities, um, also women of color, Black women who are coming together and trying to transform in the ways that Vanessa was talking about earlier today. Um, either of you have champagnes? Who do you want to raise a um, glass to? 
I I like to raise some champagne to not just Vanessa, but any any young folks working mm-hmm. in this field and working for justice in these systems that are unjust, right? That the fact that like I when I was twenty, I was a dumbass. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I was talking. So I'm sure most of our that, like, listeners are like, what the? support, like, and, if, and here's the other thing, too. People are going to, people are going to rag on, I'm talking specifically about uh, boomers, uh, are going to rag <laughs> kind of relentlessly on Gen Z, but, like, Gen Z is changing the world. So, like, yeah, just, seriously. just big champagne to, to all the young folks who are, like, just, just doing it. Just doing the work and, like, killing it. Like, not just do, not just doing the work, like, just destroying the work yeah. like you are yeah. phenomenal i am just so yeah, i'm so, so much holy smokes anyway that's my champagne today but well, any champagne yes <laughs> i i want to give a big shout out to one birth for the people birth oh. for the people is a page um that i was introduced to by a friend named precious and birth for the people connects pretty much all of the birth workers of color who do birth photography, doulas, midwives, everything. They connect all of us together. And then also Open Arms Perinatal Services. Mm. Open Arms is a huge reason why, one, the work that I'm doing right now is sustainable. And mm-hmm. two, the reason why I can help the population that I want to help. Yeah. Because in, in the end, it's, I want to help a population that doesn't have money. Yep. And that, you know, it kind of like feeds into the reason like why this population needs help because they don't have money. Well, how do I help them if they don't have funding to get to me? So mm-hmm. Open Arms yeah. really helps to fill that gap of making what I'm doing possible. Because if it weren't for that, I wouldn't be able to pay my bills because I have to I have to have my lights on. You know, I have to have a car so I can get to your birth. Yep. But, yep. you know, if you're we're all it's there's only so much that we can do within our own community and open arms allows us to step out and get funding from somewhere else. Yeah. So that we can do what we need to do. So that's, that's beautiful. One of my biggest allies is going to be open arms. Awesome. Champagne. All right. Real pain. Um, either of you have some real pain to shuffle out. Sometimes our guests are uncomfortable with this part, but feel free to chime in or Annie, do you got some real pain right now? You want to dish out? Annie's holding her baby right now. Vanessa, yeah. did you have 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 a real pain? <laughs> For listeners who don't know, we have a little fat faced baby, and I say that with all the love, little round cheeks that basically yes. you want to pinch off. Our, our special guest right here. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> um, oh, I would man. say a real. <laughs> sorry, everyone got distracted by the baby. Um, I would say real pain would be um, just doctors and medical assistants mm. don't don't listen. It's not even that they don't mm. get it; it's that they don't listen because they could get it and they have the information. I'm just so tired of like, oh my gosh, just and not being open to um, listening to patients to. Yeah. Other, other medical practitioners. Uh, one thing that teachers do kind of pretty well, I feel like, is when they don't know how to solve a teacher problem, they find other teachers and are like, hey, hey, teach, what do you, how do you propose we solve this particular problem, right? And it seems like so much of the medical community is so, it's so, it's so many like pillars of expertise, right? Mm-hmm. And not a willingness to say there is this historical knowledge of midwifery and like, and like mm-hmm. doing practice that's really, really important. And like, 
it was the only way of doing birth forever. Um, and medical science is relatively recent when it comes to um, birth technology. And some of that birth technology is unnecessary. Um, and so like, how do we reconcile that? So I don't know, just, uh, just real pain for the, the medical community. That's not, doesn't listen. It's not listening. They got their ears closed to information that's valuable and life-saving. So mm-hmm. just listen, listen more. Yeah. And I'll build off that real pain um, for the people that continue to try to put those barriers up. Right. So they're benefiting from these systems that we talked about today and they just keep keep perpetuating them because it makes it feel good and it keeps them in their place of power and privilege. Um, So real pain to all those people. Um, Vanessa, how about you? I would say real pain would be my frustration with you don't have to understand something to respect it. Mm -hmm. That's good. All right, final segment, Annie. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies. All right, you've got a long one here, Annie. Do you want to chime in on that first? Not so long. I just think that I tell people to go Google stuff because here's the thing. You love a good article is all I have I to love say. A good, I do. I, also like, I like Dr. Google because um, you can you can talk to um, folks like Vanessa who were super generous with their time to come talk about these like issues of systemic oppression to talk about racism and birthing and all of these things that are so very important. And also educate yourself about the history of midwifery, the history of racism in in medicine, Um, the medicalization of the birth process, which is like, Vanessa, I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's like, there's been such a shift in the last 100, 150 years to see birth as a medical procedure when in reality it doesn't need to be medicalized in the way that it has been um, because that has created disparities because systems are all built by people and they're all flawed and they're all super racist. So just um, think about how we activate our, and and classist and also um, hate poor people, like, and all those things intersect Um, and transphobic and homophobic. And like, we need to undo those systems that are hurting people, right? And killing people. So um, activate the historical knowledge about birthing practices um, educate yourself. Dr. Google's your friend. Um, there's a lot of great peer reviewed research about the medicalization of birth. And it's not, um, it's not just all like pop, pop psychology, like, Hey, let's just look at this like real quickly listicle. No, like actual research, like go read some. Um, there's a lot available free on the internet. Thanks, Annie. Um, my homework is to go check out the organizations that we talked about earlier. We'll link to in the show notes um, and also donate. So one of the uh, things I found was a really fantastic birth justice allies list. And it had a lot of organizations that are doing the work and a lot of people um, because it's so much of its grassroots oriented. Um, a lot of it needs money. So donate. I mean, if, if, if nothing else, you can do that. But as Vanessa was saying earlier, talking about these issues, um, sharing about it and supporting in that way. Um, Vanessa, any homework? Yes, I recommend watching a couple of films. Oh, perfect. The first film is the, the, the American Dream. Sorry. The American Dream is the first one. And then the second one is going to be The Business of Being Born. Hmm. Both of those, um, The American Dream was a, is, is all about Black birth. So it's going to teach about kind of the disparities and the experiences. And it's a documentary that really goes into how birth is for a few families yeah. across the country. Um, and then the business of being born really just talks about kind of like I've mentioned earlier, the cascade of interventions and how they make money off of mm-hmm. you saying yes to all these interventions where it's not, it's coins in the hospital's pocket. It's not about your outcomes. And it's really important to understand and differentiate that 
yes, these are people in the hospital. Yes, this is a place that's supposed to be safe. But also, yes, this is a business. Mm -hmm. This is a Mm -hmm. whole business that has its own systems and it wants to make money. So Mm -hmm. understand, Mm -hmm. like, you are a part of their income. Mm -hmm. They have a way of making sure that they're going to get paid and they know how to get paid. And understanding, like, these OBs are surgeons, they they signed up for this job because they want to do surgery, not because they want to be hands off and allow you <laughs> to like birth on your own and catch your own baby. You know what I mean? That's yeah. not, that's not what you know. Like it all is that that's not what they signed up for. That's not what they want right. to do. If right. that's the kind of birth you want, midwives are totally the way to go. And the business of being born kind of just helps to break down blatantly what it truly is for face value and not sugarcoating it into something different. Yeah. I'm super excited to go watch those films because I haven't seen them yet. So thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, no problem. Well, we thank you so much for taking the time out of your morning here to talk to us. And um, <laughs> yeah, I know the little baby in the corner is still peeking up at us. Oh, um, so and cute. hopefully oh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Sorry. Ready, so distracting. <laughs> Can you get the baby to say bye since that's our signature ending? Oh, I might be able to get him to wave. Can you wave, buddy? Eh, that's fine. I, I want to buy maybe a couple more months. You got to train him on that. So instead of like, mommy, can he just say bye? Like, they're like, bye. Bye. No? Yeah. <clears throat> Vanessa, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. And thank you for having me. Yeah, we you're amazing. And we're, thank we're you. Just supporting your business in the future in whatever way we can help you be mm-hmm. successful. So everybody who's listening, you need to, you just need to, either you need to hire a doula in Tacoma, Vanessa, or you need to support her business or her um, GoFundMe for her education. So get out and do it. Definitely. Thank you All guys. Right, thanks so much. Bye. Of course. Bye. Bye. Hey y'all, don't forget to grab your copy of The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor for our Read Less Basic book club. Follow the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag Read Less Basic. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.